Well, Merry Christmas. It is so good to see so many of you here this morning. It is just a delight. Uh, those of you joining us online saw more than usual, uh, so it's wonderful that you've carved out this time uh, to worship our Savior this moment on Christmas morning. So we are grateful. And as we begin, I want to just ask you to think with me about your favorite Christmas tradition. I see we've got a lot of children in our services this morning, so I want you to think about this as well. Because when I was younger, my favorite Christmas tradition was all about the presents and opening the presents on Christmas morning. And then I would call my aunt who lived in North Carolina, and she would always want to hear about everything that we had received. And then I would call my best friend, and we would compare notes and make plans on when we would play with the new toys together. And we usually had a sleepover or two during that Christmas break. But as I aged, the favorite tradition has changed, and I was thinking about this this week, and I realized my favorite Christmas tradition now is, is the Christmas Eve service. I just love our Christmas Eve service here at Linwood. It's one of my favorite things that we do, and many of you were here last night as well. If you weren't, I would encourage you to go and watch it online sometime when you need to have a little Christmas spirit uh, again, because it's a wonderful retelling of the story of Christmas, both in Scripture and song. It was interesting this year, uh, because Christmas falling on a Sunday, uh, we had to make some adjustments on some of our Christmas traditions, and when we normally do certain things, and then, you know, Winter Storm Elliot came in and caused further adjustments, and many of you are probably dealing with some of those as well. And while there were some tense moments as we were trying to decide what we were going to do, when we were going to do it, how we were going to do it, in the end, it ended up accentuating each of those traditions. Having it at a different time or in a different setting added to it and made me more appreciative of the people that we get to share Christmas with and the things that we get to do. And I even saw some things differently or appreciated certain elements of our Christmas traditions differently, even last night's service, because of those. And this is special, to be here on Christmas morning and to be celebrating and singing together. And it fits right in with our sermon series that concludes today. But it was asking that question, do you see what I see? And our Christmas Eve service allowed us to ask that question in a number of unique ways. And this morning, we get to see some things differently on Christmas morning than would normally be the case. And so today, we're going to be picking up the Christmas story towards the tail end of its presentation in Luke's gospel. And we're going to be focusing on those who are seeking. We've started maybe as far away with the partially informed public, and then we moved closer in week two with those who have no room for Jesus and then took another step closer with those who are jumping for joy. And last week, we looked at those who are rejoicing in our Savior. Today, we're going to look at those who are seeking. And I want to ask you another question. I want to ask you, what are you seeking? What are you seeking today? What are you seeking in this season of life. As we approach this question, we're going to look at three different groups of people, and we'll see that they were seeking the same thing, but perhaps in different ways or from different perspectives, which fits right in to this question we've been asking, do you see what I see? Those three groups that we're going to look at are the shepherds, and then Simeon and Anna, who were in the temple, and lastly, the wise men. 
So there's a chronological order, but it also has to do with proximity to the birth of Jesus that we celebrate this morning. All three responded in faith to news that they had received and decided to seek Jesus. And so that will set the backdrop today. I would encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I didn't get the page number uh, this week, but if you want to borrow one of our Bibles, you can do so. These words will also be up on the screen. But we're going to begin by looking at the shepherds. And the context here is that the birth of Jesus has just taken place. And in that moment, then the angels announce to the shepherds the good news. And so in verse 15, we pick up the story and we say, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Now, the shepherds say to each other in verse 15, Let's go see. They just received this news. The angel tells them that a great thing has taken place, that that God has come. And it's good news of great joy for all people. And so they say, well, let's go see what they were just talking about. Let's not just sit here and think about it or talk about it. Let's go see. And, And they do this. They leave their sheep behind. They leave their sheep in the open fields and they go and they see. And so they were the first to hear the good news. They were the first to be evangelized, so to speak. Have you ever thought about it that way? They responded in faith to what they heard. And you see evangelism, the word evangelism, if you write it out, the word angel is right in the middle. It's E-V-angelism. Angels are messengers, messengers of good news. And evangelism is the proclamation of the good news, becoming a messenger. And so they received the message of the good news. And they decided to seek out the object of the message. They decided to go and to see. They didn't just shrug it off. They didn't just talk about it. They went and they were rewarded. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. In verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So because they went and sought him, they found Jesus. They found the Christ child. And then they told everyone about it. And so I love that not only were the shepherds the first to be evangelized, but they were the first evangelists as well. They were the first human messengers of the good news. They went and told everybody what they had seen and heard. That's what evangelism is. That's what being a witness is. It's when you tell people what you have seen and heard. And so not only did they hear from the angels, they responded in faith to what they heard, and then they became angels themselves. They became messengers of good news and told everyone about it. And then in verse 20, we're told that the shepherds returned to their fields, presumably glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So they returned back But now they're changed, they're transformed, now they're praising, now they're glorifying God. Their faith and belief has turned into joy. And that's our bottom line today. We'll talk about this from a number of different angles. But the bottom line today is that when you seek Jesus, you find joy. Because they sought Jesus, they found joy. Because they responded in faith to the good news that they heard from the angels, they found Jesus, they found joy. And they returned 
glorifying and praising God, filled with joy. And the same is true for us today. When we seek Jesus, we find joy. Joy that can meet us even in the darkest circumstances, even in the lowest valleys, we can find that joy. Now we see this also illustrated in the people of Simeon and Anna, these two individuals who were staying in the temple, we're told. We'll pick up the story here, but we'll see that they also sought Jesus and found joy. So fast forward a little bit. In verse 21, we see in the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angels had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The irony of them bringing the Lord to present the Lord to the Lord strikes me as interesting, um, knowing what we know. But don't miss this because it tells us in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So there's a lot going on here, and we do well to remember that Jesus was born under the law. He was born as a Hebrew, as a Jewish young man, as the firstborn in his father's house. And so there were certain things that the law required. One of my favorite scriptures about Christmas comes in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where Paul writes that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to redeem those of us who are under the law. That Jesus was born into the Hebrew culture. He was born into the law, and the law had requirements. And so he was brought, he was named at a certain time. There was a circumcision that took place. In fact, Donald Gray Barnhouse comments that Christ's circumcision was his first suffering for us. And I had never thought of that before. That that Christ's circumcision, being born under the law and the circumcision that was prescribed under the law was his first suffering for us. And it pointed to the crucifixion that would bring the end of his life. At the same time, he was born under the law. And the sacrifice that is presented for him in verse 24 suggests that Mary and Joseph were very poor. Too poor to bring a lamb, which is the preferred sacrifice in in Exodus, that they would bring a lamb. Instead, they bring two young pigeons or a pair of turtle doves. And again, the irony that they did bring the lamb. They brought the lamb of God to present the Lamb of God to the Lord on the eighth day. No wonder Mary had a lot to ponder and a lot to marvel at with Joseph as they considered all of these things and how this must be fitting together uh, even though they couldn't fully understand. In verse 25, it continues, and this is where we're introduced to Simeon. We're told that there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, the message translation, uh, the message paraphrase of this verse talks about Simeon waiting in prayerful expectancy. I love that combination of words. Do you pray in prayerful 
expectancy. When you're waiting for something that God has revealed to you or that Scripture has promised to you, do you wait in prayerful expectancy? That's a beautiful translation of that word hope. It's prayerful expectancy. He was continuing to pray. He was continuing to seek, but he was expectant. Well, not just wishful thinking, but prayerful expectancy. And because of that, I believe he was rewarded. I've told you before, what you look for, you will find. And if you are looking for reasons to praise God, you will find them all around you. If you're looking for reasons to feel bad or to feel negative, just turn on the news. There's plenty of them out there. But what we look for, we will find. And what Simeon was looking for, he found. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for it. He was righteous and devout. And it's an interesting phrase there, the consolation of Israel. That word consolation is the Greek word paraklesis, which is significant if you understand that the paraclete is the Holy Spirit. He was waiting for the consolation. The Holy Spirit is the comforter that comes to us to comfort us in all of our troubles, to be with us. And so in this moment, the consolation of Israel comes, those that had been waiting and hoping that God would come and rescue and comfort his people to come alongside them with strength. The moment has taken place. God is with them. God is rescuing them. God is here to comfort his people in the person of Christ, even in this baby boy. And this hope of the consolation involves not only salvation, which will be talked about in verse 30 here, but also the forgiveness of sins, which was just featured in chapter 1, verse 77, and the saving of the lost, which is the main point of Luke's gospel. In 1910, Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. All of this is the consolation of Israel. All of this is what Simeon This righteous and devout man had been waiting for, had been faithfully, expectantly praying for. And so the story continues in verse 27 that Simeon, moved by the Spirit, went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation." which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I love that this is good news for all people. The angels said it earlier in this chapter, and now Simeon picks up on this as well. In verse 31, he says this has been done in the sight of all people. This is for both Israel and the Gentiles. A light of revelation points back to the salvation in verse 30. It's a light not only for the people of Israel, but for the whole world, for the Gentiles, for us 2,000 years later. This is good news. And he is overwhelmed with joy, and he is praising, and he is prophesying, proclaiming, praising God, celebrating, illustrating to us that when you seek Jesus, you find joy because he sought Jesus and was righteous and devout and continued to be in the presence of God, believing the promises of God, prayerfully expecting that this would come to pass. He experienced joy. He sought Jesus and he found joy. Now he continues, and we don't want to skip over this portion because it's significant. It it might not be what Mary wanted to hear. It might even be what we want to hear on Christmas morning. But he continues and He tells them, 
As the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, too. Now this can be a challenging passage passage to understand. And, and like I said, it might not be what we want to think about. You know, we want to just celebrate Christmas, right? And I'm sure Mary and Joseph, while they were marveling at the wonderful things were said, had to ponder what Simeon shared here. The falling and the rising, it, he mentions, I believe the falling refers to the judgment of the haughty and the arrogant, that there are those who are going to be brought low. Those who are arrogant, those who are prideful, those who maybe think they've got the world by its tail in this religious system that they are on the top of will be brought low. There will be the falling of those, but there will be the rising of the humble. There will be the rising of the salvation coming to the humble and to the meek. And so while those that are high might be brought low, those that are low will be lifted up. They will rise to receive the salvation of God. And then in verse 35... A sign that is opposed, sorry, in verse 34, foretells the opposition that will come to Jesus. Jesus is the sign. He did signs and wonders everywhere he went, and there were those that opposed him. Opposed him because they were at risk. Their livelihood was at risk because of the things that Jesus was doing. And so there were those that opposed him. And lastly, in verse 35, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too, he says to Mary. And that sword refers, I believe, to the future sorrow that Mary will experience at Jesus' crucifixion and leading up to that. In fact, the verb that is used means to constantly keep on piercing. She knows how this story ends. She has some inclination, and as the time gets closer and closer, her heart is pierced as only a mother's heart could be. But the story doesn't end there. This temple interaction also includes Anna. And so we're introduced to her next. In verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. I love Luke's bluntness. You know, he's a physician. He doesn't care. You know, physicians have a way of just pulling the Band-Aid off, right? She was very old. Not just a little old. Not well along in years. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was age 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child and to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So you have Simeon being faithful and devout. You have Anna, another who was faithful, who was devout, who was seeking, who was believing. She was a prophetess, we're told. A prophet is simply one who speaks on behalf of God or speaks to God on behalf of others. And so she had this ability. She had this ability to discern and to understand the words of God and to proclaim those words of God, to interpret them. And we're told she never left the temple The temple was a complex. The temple was a large area. So this is actually possible. It's not like somebody moving into Linwood and never leaving Linwood Church. There was a bigger space that was involved there. But she never left the temple. She was fervently seeking God night and day, fasting and praying. And it just so happens that she finds herself in the right place 
at the right time. And I think that's often what happens when we're seeking God. We find ourselves in the right place at the right time. That great promise from Romans 8.28 tells us that, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so when we're seeking God and we faithfully seek him throughout our days, then we will find ourselves in the right place for all time. We'll find ourselves because of what Christ has done for us. And when we faithfully seek him and serve him, then we can be assured that we will spend eternity with him. We'll be in the right place for all time. And so once again, she illustrates that when you seek Jesus, you find joy. And she rejoiced. She gave thanks to God. She spoke and prophesied about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So we see this good news layered in from the shepherds to Simeon and Anna. And now to the wise men turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Just back up a couple of books in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 2, we'll introduce to those who were the farthest from Jesus and who were the last to arrive. Everything else has taken place in the span of eight or nine days. But now in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we read that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So again, we saw and we have come. They saw the star rise in the east. They saw this spectacular sign take place. They were watching for it. And when they saw it, they did the research. They investigated. They found out what this could mean. They, they worked through it and they became convinced, convinced enough to make an 800-mile journey through the desert This was not like 800 miles on interstate highway, okay? This was maybe 20, 25 miles a day with a large entourage of people. This would have taken them 30 to 40 days, most likely, to make this journey. They were so convinced in what they they had seen, and they wanted to seek what it pointed to enough to make that big of an investment of time and resources and energy. We're told they saw, and they have come. Now, this is disconcerting to the current king who wasn't quite aware that a king of the Jews, a different king of the Jews had been born. He was recognized, they're not talking about my kid, they're talking about somebody else. And so just to summarize verses 3 through 8, King Herod is concerned. They researched the prophecies themselves. They decide this had to be in Bethlehem. And he sends them on their way, but he says, you know, as soon as you find this guy, come back and tell me. I want to go and worship him too. He had other plans in mind as Scripture lets us know, but we're told in verse 9 that they kept seeking. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country on another route. So they kept seeking, and then they were overjoyed. Not only were they overjoyed, they bowed down and they worshipped him. You see, when you seek Jesus, you find joy. And they experienced the joy of giving gifts. And many children, I'm sure, are grateful for this tradition getting started and, and being able to be a recipient of it. 
But if you've noticed, when kids give a gift, they have more joy over the gift that they give. In fact, we had to open some of our presents a little earlier than maybe we had intended because our younger ones were so excited to give the gifts that they had planned and prepared and had wrapped for certain people. They wanted to see the look on their faces, and I think they show this idea that there is the joy of giving And there was providence involved, I believe, because Joseph's warned in a dream as well. And he leaves for Egypt and leaves behind his homeland and and where he would have support. And now he's got gold and valuable frankincense and valuable myrrh that would support them for the time that they live in Egypt. And so you see God working together the things that were needed. They kept listening. They kept seeking And they followed God's instructions instead of following the king's instructions. And that was probably something that took some risk in there. If they got caught not going back to King Herod, that would not probably be very good for them. But they listened to God. They continued to seek the will of God. And they most likely had a hand in saving the young Christ's life so that Joseph and Mary and Jesus could get out of town. And so as we see these different examples playing out, illustrating this principle that when you seek Jesus, you find joy. I'll return to the question that I asked at the beginning. What are you seeking? Who of those we have talked about so far do you resonate the most with? Is it the shepherds? Is it maybe Simeon and Anna? Is it perhaps the wise men? Why would that be? Take some time to reflect on that, to think through who do I resonate the most with? And do I really believe that when I seek Jesus, I will find joy? Because each of them not only sought Jesus faithfully, we're told, they were devout, they were in the right place at the right time. They also worshiped joyfully. When they did find Jesus and they did find joy, they praised God, they gave thanks, they worshiped joyfully. And they shared with others about what they had seen and heard. We see that. Cycle, repeating, seeking faithfully, worshiping joyfully, and sharing with others what they had seen and heard. So perhaps if you're not quite sure who you identify with the most, then maybe it's part of that cycle that you need to ask, God, where where do I need to hear from you? Do I need to seek more faithfully? Am I shortchanging myself on the joy that's available through seeking Jesus because I'm not seeking you that faithfully? Do I need to worship joyfully? Do I need to share with others? You see, we can all choose to seek God faithfully each day through his word, through prayer. We can take cues from Simeon and Anna in particular. Seeking God faithfully through fellowship, through service. These are options that are available to us. And when we seek Jesus, we find joy. We can worship joyfully when, when we come, when we make in-person worship a priority when we decide to be here and to say that this matters. Kudos to all of you for getting up and coming in on Christmas morning. But making this a priority in our lives, re-engaging in worship. Maybe you're here every week, but it's gotten a little stale and you need to bring the worship with you, not just expect to find worship when you get here. There are all kinds of ways that we can apply this and that we can seek to, to respond in faith to what we've heard. And maybe it's that third one. Maybe it's sharing. Maybe it's becoming an angel to somebody else. Maybe it's becoming a bearer of good news to another person. 
or a group of people to help them see. That's what we've been talking about all along, that when we ask that question, do you see what I see, we recognize that for those of us that are in Christ, the answer is not everyone sees what we see. And if you're not, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus yet, then we hope that you have seen something today that makes you want to lean into that, that makes you want to take the next step, that makes you want to respond in faith. But we all have an opportunity to be an angel in someone else's life. In fact, last week, our our bottom line was that joy is best when it's shared. When we share the joy, it multiplies, sometimes exponentially. And so as we seek Jesus and as we find Jesus, as we worship joyfully, we must share, share that joy as well. And so as we bring this moment to a close, I I have to confess, I woke up at 2 o'clock this morning, and it wasn't my first choice of things to be doing at 2 o'clock this morning, being awake, and as I was thinking and praying, it occurred to me, as Pastor Zach shared earlier, Christmas will not be on a Sunday morning again for 11 years. And I thought, maybe we should... Maybe we should take communion on Christmas morning. Advent communion is one of my favorite communions in all the church year because there is that juxtaposition of the miracle of this child and then the final act of his life, issuing that new covenant, instituting that new covenant and inviting us to be a part of it. And so we are going to partake in communion this morning. And because nobody is open to sell us grape juice, we're in the prepackaged ones. I know some of you rejoiced greatly when we moved away from prepackaged communion, but nobody's open to sell ju- grape juice on Christmas morning, which I didn't even think about until somebody alerted me to that fact. But we do have communion. We do have the body and the blood of Christ represented in a small wafer and a small cup of juice. And I want to encourage you. Yes, this is a little out of ordinary, But this whole year has been a little out of ordinary as far as Christmas is concerned. And I hope and pray that this will be a special time for you. Our Savior's instructions were that as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We can do this today in remembrance of him. If you're here as a visitor or as a guest or as an infrequent attender, we want you to know we serve an open communion. The table is open to you as long as you can follow our Lord's instructions as often as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me. If you have children with you and you're confident as their parents that they understand the significance of communion, then they're invited as well to participate. So in a few moments, I will lead us in a time of prayer. And then the elements will be presented. We'll have a time where you can come forward. Those of you in these two center sections come down the aisle between you. Those of you in these far sections come down the aisle between you, receive the elements, and then return on the outside. Same thing over here. And then hold the elements until everybody has received them, and I will come back up and lead us in the partaking of them. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Christmas. We're so thankful for the good news of great joy. It's for all people. Even us, 2,000 years later, we continue to gather and to celebrate that good news of great joy with all people, for all people. And so, Lord, as we continue to seek you, may we continue to find your joy. And let us remember, Lord, that though we have had our thoughts focused on the manger in the cradle, 
there was also a cross. A cross that would reveal the hearts of many people. And a sword that would pierce not only Mary's soul, but your side. So help us, Lord, in these moments to examine ourselves and to reflect upon if there's anything that has come between us and you, if there's anything that needs to be confessed or repented of, lead us in that and help us, O God, to approach your table with clean hands and pure hearts and to celebrate the gift of forgiveness that we have because of our crucified and risen Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.